Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God for our special attention this morning is our first lesson, Genesis 3. We read the first 15 verses as our first lesson. Your fellow sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, imagine that you have a co-worker, Ed, who always dresses as though he has to buy his clothes at goodwill. Everyone knows when he arrives in the morning, because he drives a 17-year-old beat-up minivan with a malfunctioning muffler. He does good work and gets along with everyone, so no one's exactly critical of him, but people often wonder. They wonder why he seems so poor, because in his position, they know that he has to be making well over $100,000 a year. So one weekend you're working on a project and you realize that he has at home in his briefcase a document that you need and it's too sensitive to be emailed or faxed, so you arrange to go to his house to pick it up. When you pull up, you double-check the address because you have trouble believing it, but then you see Ed outside and you know you're in the right place. You have to park on the street because there's a 40-foot boat on a trailer sitting in the driveway. He waves when you get out of the car, comes to greet you, and you say, Wow, Ed, I'm impressed with your house. I, I never would have expect you to, expected you to have a place like this. And, and with a smirk to show you're, you're joking around, you say, What, did you marry into money or something? Ed takes you seriously, though, and, and says, Oh, no, this is all me. We we decided to get all the house we could afford, and, and I've got an $8,000 a month mortgage to show for it. Come on, come on in and meet my wife. On entering the house, you immediately feel underdressed. Ed's wife's casual Saturday outfit involves a designer blouse and jeans, Jimmy Choo's, and diamond jewelry. You try to make a conversation as he goes to retrieve the document, and you ask her well, what she does, and she answers, oh, oh, you know it's all I can do just to keep this and our beach house clean. I, I let Ed bring home the bacon, and he keeps me happy. Later, as you're waving, driving away, you think about it all and Ed's apparent poverty, and you say to yourself, well, that explains it. Or imagine someone new is hired at your job. You don't work together, but you can't help noticing her because she is, by all accounts and every standard, incredibly attractive. But as time goes by, you're surprised to see that she never chats with the rest of the staff, that she disappears as quickly as possible from both meetings and celebrations, and she always eats lunch alone curious and actually feeling a little bit of sorry for her, one day you sit down with her at lunch and say hi. Immediately she glares at you and says, did I ask you to sit here? I don't think so. Do I want to lose my appetite watching other people scarf down their lunches? No, I don't. Find another chair or stand in a corner. I don't care, but please go away. Shocked and Shaking your head as you walk off, you say to yourself, well, that explains it. Finding out the reason behind something odd or unpleasant 
something frustrating or worrisome, doesn't just satisfy our curiosity. It also helps us make sense of the world that we live in and the people we live with in it. Genesis chapter 3 serves this purpose in the ultimate way. The explanations that we find here don't answer every question, but it does get us back to the root of our problems, to every problem. We have so many things, after all, that we want to know. Why is my life so difficult? Why is she so mean to me? How can other people treat other people so horribly? Why is there so much pain and suffering? Genesis 3 tells us what we need to know about these and and so many other things. But let's break it down to the basics. What does it show us? First, we have perfection. Adam and Eve, the very first humans, the crown of God's creation, are perfect people in a perfect marriage with a perfect relationship with the perfect God, and they live in a perfect paradise. But along comes Satan in the form of a serpent, and he craftily suggests that things are not actually so perfect. Eve, he says, God's holding out on you. It's not fair. You know what is good, but he knows both what is good and what is evil. If you had that knowledge too, uh then you would be just like him. And Eve, with Adam right there, doing nothing to intervene or stop her, Eve decides in that moment that she cannot trust the Lord to do what is good for her. And so she takes the fruit and eats it and gives it to her husband and he eats it too. And the snake was right. Immediately, they both gained knowledge of evil. But it wasn't really the fruit that did it. It was their own evil act, their unbelief and rebellion against their loving Creator. Suddenly, they experienced some very new things which had never been necessary before, which hadn't even been imaginable before. They feel shame and fear. And their sneaky co-conspirator was no help and really nowhere to be found. He'd done what he came to do. They hope to hide, but God finds them, as of course he always would since he knows and sees everything. They dodge responsibility and they point fingers, but they cannot escape the truth. They have done exactly what he told them not to do. They have sinned. They deserve to die. In the verses following what we read earlier, we learn the consequences to to them of their choice to follow their own will instead of God's. To the woman, God said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing. 
With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat from it. The soil is cursed on account of you. You will eat from it with painful labor all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles will spring up from the ground for you, but you will eat the crops of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the soil, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve because she would be mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing of animal skins for Adam and for his wife and clothed them. The Lord God said, Look, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, so that he does not reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. The Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the soil from which he had been taken. So he drove the man out. And in front of the Garden of Eden he stationed cherubim and a flaming sword which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, there is some good news in Genesis 3 that not everybody sees, but We'll save that for later. Well, now we see how it answers our questions about all the bad news that is visible to everybody. For instance, why is it that people die? Death is not pleasant, and it's not something we want. Maybe, maybe we might think it's appropriate, it's right even for really bad people. Or maybe we think it's, well, okay when, when someone is really old or something. But what about when children die? What about when it's the people we love and care for or depend on? What about the innocent and the nice and the talented and the smart people? Why must they die? Here we have it all laid out for us. As Paul explained in our reading from Romans, because of Adam's sin, all people are sinners and all people die as Adam died. Death reigns over us all and death takes us all because the wages of sin is death. That explains it. Well, then what about all the things that are not quite death? or maybe that lead to death. Why why must there be cancer and disease and war and famine? Why are there accidents and disasters and storms? Because our first parents' sin did not just curse people, it also cursed the world that we live in. That explains it. Why is it that you do all the things that you do, things that you know you shouldn't do, things that you hate yourself for doing, things that that make you hang your head in shame and despair when you think about them in the dead of the night. Why? Because you're a sinner and that's what you do. Why is it that everything hurts? Why is there so much anger and hatred Why are relationships so broken? Why do women have such unique pains and struggles? Why is men's work so hard? Why is marriage so difficult? 
because we are sinners who sin. Sin ruined everything. That explains it. Why is it that we as human beings always have a sense that there should be something better and that we should be better but can never, never achieve it? Why have so many well-intentioned movements and philosophies failed so miserably at creating better nations and societies through laws and education and even revolutions? Because any system that assumes that men and women are basically good if you just give them the right structure or assume that men and women can be made good if the right efforts are made, any such system is always doomed to failure and futility because we are not good and cannot be good on our own. Because we had paradise on earth. But we cannot return to Eden. That explains it. And Once we see all that, the next question you might say is even darker. Why isn't it worse? Why didn't God just kill Adam and Eve right then and there? Why doesn't he now just wipe us all off the face of the earth when he sees how sinful we are? Why didn't God then or now just start over or give up entirely on the whole idea of humanity? Well, remember how I said there was good news here? That's what we have in Genesis 3 also. Because here we see, we see that God cares. We see that God loves. We see that God acts. And God promises. And that explains it. Adam and Eve's sin, and God seeks them out. Not to destroy, but more. He gently prods, looking for them to confess their sins and ask for mercy. And even when they don't do that, he doesn't just accept the new situation and abandon them. And he doesn't kill them immediately as they deserve. Even as he assigns the consequences for their sins, he makes provisions for their new lives in his corrupted creation. He kills animals to clothe them. But the greatest good news here is that he is going to solve Adam's and Eve's and our problem of sin once and for all. He will put an end to evil and to evil's sponsor, Satan. The Lord, in love for sinners, promises that from Eve's seed will come a champion who will go into battle with the great serpent and defeat him, crushing his head underfoot for good and forever. In other words, immediately after the first sin, God made the first promise of a Savior. He told the world that Jesus was coming and told us all to count on that for life and hope and forgiveness. And as Paul explained in our Romans reading, Christ, the second Adam, 
did all that was promised. He took all the world's sin and guilt upon himself and paid its price with his suffering and death on the cross. He took the punishment that we deserved and in doing so defeated our every enemy, sin, death, and Satan. And and he not only delivered us from hell forever, but he gained us eternal life forever in the new Eden, paradise, with his own resurrection. That explains it. And note that there is no role here for us. No requirement for our own works or righteousness. Jesus did it all for us because we could do none of it for ourselves. And in fact, to presume to add our works to his is to refuse his gracious gift. That explains it. If all that were not enough. Christ's fulfillment of the promise here does even more. We are restored to what we lost. His perfect righteousness, earned with His life of of perfect obedience, is given to us to be our own. We are brought back into fellowship with the Father. And we are given the power now through the gospel and the Holy Spirit's work within us to do what was previously impossible for us. So now we can stop hating. We can start loving others as God has loved us. We can treat our wives and husbands as as precious gifts. We can raise our children in faith-filled families. We can do good to our neighbors. We can serve the needy and so much more. We can't have Eden back until we are all raised to life again on the last day. But we can live as God's children again here on earth until then. What a privilege all this is. Not just to have been saved by the grace of God as promised to the first sinners, but to have this absolutely trustworthy record of how all this happened so that we can understand it and and know what to count on. We can bring our questions and and confusions, our, our frustrations and worries and curiosities to the Bible and especially to Genesis 3. And we can say with confidence, that explains it. It's all there. What a tragedy it is when people, even even those who consider themselves Christians and followers of Christ, when, when they throw out the first chapters of Genesis because they'd rather believe something else. They lose understanding even as they claim to have greater knowledge than our Lord. It's little wonder that so many in our world are so confused and so unable to find answers to the deep questions they have about life and death, about love and hate and justice and mercy and so much more. But we have those answers. So we thank God for His grace and His love for His willingness to forgive and restore us. Thank Him for sending His Son and Eve's seed to be our Savior and for all of His great and gracious gifts. And when we have questions about so many things, we thank Him for the account of mankind's fall in Genesis 3. 
That explains it all. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.